Maybe seated. We have an anniversary that we need to sing this morning. Taylor, do you have an anniversary today? Tomorrow. All right. Well, that's wrong in here then. All right. Any birthdays? Anniversaries? All right. How many years, brother? 56. Let's sing happy anniversary. It's good to be in the Lord's house today and uh, looking forward uh, to the choir's cantata uh, here uh, this morning. A few things from our bulletin. I want to mention that we're still receiving offerings for the missionaries. And so if you want to uh, partake in that, please feel free. Use your offering envelope and where it says missions, you can just write Christmas in the mountain and put it in that way. Or on the other side of the envelope where it says other, you can just put Christmas missions. Uh, and so we want to be a blessing. So far we have a little over $3,500 uh, towards that. So we praise the Lord. Uh, Christmas program, of course, today the Word became flesh. Uh, excited to have that uh, presentation this morning. A ladies' Christmas party will be uh, on December the 15th, which will be Thursday at my house, 7 o'clock. I encourage you to come. Uh, information there in the bulletin. Uh, we start the Gilson Christmas today. Uh, there's a box just outside under the uh, SMBT emblem out there, and uh, you can put your gift in there. And, uh, you know, if we can have Walmart gift cards or if you want to give them uh, money, that would be great. If you're going to write a check, make it out to Dan Gilson, and uh, we'd just like to hand them the box and let them take care of it. Uh, Christmas uh, patch program will be next Sunday afternoon. Uh, at, at uh, the afternoon time at 1 o'clock. We're looking forward to that. The kids always do a great job, and so encourage you to come uh, be a part of that. Then we have Teen Christmas Party, uh, the 21st uh, Wednesday evening, and uh, Christmas Day, we left out Christmas Eve. Uh, Christmas Eve at 5.30, we'll have a service, and then Christmas Day at 10.30, we'll have a service. Uh, the the Christmas Day service, if you're planning to be with us, there's a sign-up sheet and uh, for, you know, sides to go with food. We got, uh, we're going to have some smoked turkey, we're going to have some brisket, and uh, then we just need sides to go with that. Uh, so if you're interested, you can be a part. If you can sign up, it gives us an idea of how many will be here. And uh, if no one shows, I guess Cindy and I will have a lot of food to eat. But anyhow, um, we'll, we're looking forward to uh, Christmas Day. Uh, if you don't have family and you want to come, just be a part, spend some time uh, with your church family. That'd be great. There is also a church cleaning sign-up list out there. And uh, so uh, please feel free to avail yourself of that. I would ask that you'd pray for uh, the Marinos next Sunday as they head, uh, they actually leave on Thursday, head out to California. Uh, the area they're going to is San Marcos, which is by, uh, basically by um, San Diego. Uh, 
and uh, then they'll be home on Tuesday of the following week. So just pray God's will be done. It's kind of an interesting, unique thing. Uh, this the church that they're going to candidate for is actually in talks with another church about blending the two churches together. Uh, so the congregation would easily double, could almost be 100 people, maybe a little more, uh, with the blending of those two churches. And so there's a lot of opportunity there uh, for them, and they really need a good leader. I think Brother Chuck would be that good leader for them. And so we just pray and uh, ask God's will to be done. We will be ordaining him uh, the first Friday night in January. Uh, January, I think it's January 6th. Uh, looking forward to having his ordination. Uh, it's always an exciting thing. Uh, you know, God's really blessed our church uh, over the years. We've got to ordain a lot of men for the ministry and uh, see them go out. And uh, so many churches never get to uh, have that experience. And so it's just a great blessing uh, to have God call one of ours. And then, you know, the next step after that, after we get them going, uh, we need to have wisdom to know what to do what the next step is, you know, who we hire, things like that. Uh, we'll worry about that once we get them all situated, and then we can worry about the other stuff, which is not a worry because God already knows, right? Uh, we just want to be in the center of his will and have God uh, have his will in the life of our church. Well, it's good to be together this morning. I did have a letter I was going to share. I'll just give you the quick uh, version of it. Uh, the Hogans, who went to Israel as missionaries, were in Israel, uh, they had a very brief, I think it was a bit like a six-month visa, and they had to leave. And uh, so they'd been out of the country, what they thought was a significant amount of time, what they had been told was a significant amount of time. So they went back, and uh, they got there right before Thanksgiving, and when they got off the plane, uh, they went to check in with their passports, they confiscated their passports, and after about seven hours of studying uh, in kind of detention, uh, they gave them their passports, they put them on a plane, flew them back to America and said, you can't come back. And so uh, then they had, they had already started the process of trying to get a more permanent style visa. So uh, they landed here Thanksgiving morning, like at, at 10 o'clock. And so he said, we've been up like 22 hours in the air. And if you, if you do much flying through the air, there's not much rest to be done there. Uh, so they checked into a hotel in Tulsa and slept most of the day and uh, all that kind of stuff. Anyhow, the next day, their lawyer got involved, and it looks like uh, they could possibly be able to get back into the country before the end of the year. So pray for the Hogans. Uh, God would just open the doors, and uh, you know they'd be able to get back, and hopefully you'd be able to get a more permanent visa so that they might be able to serve the Lord there uh, in Israel. Good to be in the Lord's house. Brother Foster is going to come with another song. Then we'll have Sunday school time. Brother Marcus is sick, and so the young marriage just stay in uh, with us young people, and uh, <laughs> we'll have a good time this morning. We'll sing hymn number 434, O Little Town of Bethlehem. We'll sing the first and the last verses hymn number 434.
have a few handouts for this class. There are limited supply, but if you'd raise your hand, we have a few left. Some gentlemen at the back that will pass those out for you. So. Couple more. Anyone need one? All right, you can find your place in the Bible, Luke chapter number six. Studying a series is called "It's Not What You Think." Now, a lot of things in the Bible go contrary to what we would uh, think it to be, or what we would react in a situation. Um, but we understand that as children of God, we are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, and we were to have the mind of Christ. So as we face life's issues, we need to understand how to respond uh, in a way that would be honoring and pleasing to the Lord. And He's certainly given us uh, what His desire is for us in the Word of God, and we need to certainly uh, study that and understand exactly what God desires for our life. So this uh, lesson number seven is on the topic of bless them that curse you. Bless them that curse you. And that's not our natural response. When someone uh, would come at us and uh, accuse us or uh, say things of us, we would want to retaliate and get the upper hand on them. That's the natural response, but it's not the response that God desires, as we see in Luke chapter number 6 and verse number 27, if you'd follow along as I read this. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, Bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. So it might help us to understand uh, and kind of back up from a situation and, and realize what God is wanting us to accomplish here on this, in this earth and in this life. We understand that He's sent Jesus Christ into this world to redeem the lost. So that's His, that's his overriding theme. That's what His desire is. And he wants to work through us to accomplish that. So, as we see situations and we see those attacks come against us, the response to retaliate and get the upper hand on that situation does not accomplish God's goal. His goal is to reach that heart with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, he's given us, then, the formula by which we can accomplish that in the best way. And especially in this area where we're talking about today, those that would be our enemies or those that would curse us, the way to get to their heart is through the remedy here, or the, the prescription that God gives us here in Luke chapter 6. Bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. So we went through the beginning of this a little bit last week. I won't reiterate all of that at this time. Uh, but we understand that there's conflict in this world. It's all about us, and we, we need to understand as children of God how we are to navigate those situations and how to accomplish the Lord's will in those situations. And we looked at Romans chapter 12 and verse 14, which says something very similar to our text today. It says, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. And we broke down those words used in that portion of scripture. And we see that the word bless carries the idea of praising or saying kind things about another. The word persecute is broad, and it can refer to something as small uh, as minor harassment to something as big as physical persecution. And then the word curse here in this portion of Scripture means to speak evil of. So as children of God, we are to be kind. 
and we are to be loving and we are to be compassionate towards those that would curse us or persecute us. So we want to look at a story in the Word of God. You can be turning to 2 Samuel chapter 16 and we can see several stories related to this topic, but we're going to look at the life of David, particularly this morning, to understand how we can apply this biblical principle of blessing those who persecute or curse us. And we can, before we look at this passage, we need to understand some background of what's going on in the life of David. At this time uh, that the event occurs in 2 Samuel 16, David is king over Israel, but his son Absalom is attempting to steal the throne by force. David here has just fled from Jerusalem and is on his way to Menahem, uh, to where he will regroup with his generals and formulate a strategy to save the kingdom. So let's read here in 2 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse number 5. And when King David came to Bahurim, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gerah. He came forth and cursed still as he came, and he cast stones at David, and, all, and at all the servants of the king David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left, and thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Then said Abishai, the son of Zariah, unto the king, Why should this, deed, this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. And the king said, What have I to do with thee, ye sons of Zariah? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai, and all his servants, Behold, my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone, and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction, and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along on the hillside over against him, and cursed as he went, and threw stones at him, and cast dust. And the king and all the people that were with him came weary and refreshed themselves there. So we understand the life of David, that Saul was king before David was thrown, was on the throne as king. And at the time of Absalom's rebellion, 25 years had passed since Saul died and David had become king. Shimei was a relative of Saul and was apparently still bitter at David for taking the throne. He cursed David, blamed him for all the bloodshed that occurred after Saul's death, and essentially called David a child of the devil. And furthermore, Shimei implied that now as Absalom was attempting to violently overthrow his kingdom, that David was simply reaping what he had sown. And Shimei was incorrect in both of these accusations, of course, and where he placed the blame. But it's possible that being a relative of Saul, he had mistaken his perception of David all along. Even so, his hateful words had hurled stones and surely hurt David deeply during this time of personal and family tragedy. 
So Abishai, who attempted to defend David in the story that we just read, was David's nephew, as well as one of his veteran soldiers. He heard the cursing and insults of Shimei and asked David if he could behead him. He wanted to take care of the situation for David. But David, we understand uh, that he told him to, to allow the Lord to have his way with him. It would have been understandable if David agreed to Ab Absalom's, uh, or Abishai's plan here and his offer to take care of this situation. But David here in this response, he illustrates exactly what we want to understand then, today in our, in our lesson. He refused to give Abishai permission to retaliate and instead counseled both Abishai and his brother Joab to leave Shimei alone. So what can we learn from this portion of Scripture? What can we learn from David's response? Certainly not the natural response. Now think about the, the power that David had as king. He could absolutely have ordered the death of Shimei in this situation. But we can learn some things from David's example that will teach us three truths about God's command to bless them that persecute us. Let's look first of all at... As we saw in our text, that remember that God allowed it. God allowed this. In verse 10 it says, And the king said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? So this is the first reason that David did not retaliate against Shimei. It was because he recognized that God had allowed it. No one likes a verbal attack. Uh, it's not something that we enjoy, but sometimes God allows it. And why does He allow it? Well, there's some things that God can do in our lives. And the first area that we could think of is that it, it would seek to humble us. And we certainly need humbling in our life. We need to walk humbly before the Lord. And the Lord can use a situation to humble us. And consider if God wants us to learn something from our critics as well. So let's look at a couple reasons that God may allow us to endure criticism. First, we see that it would help us to see ourselves, help us to see ourselves. And as we are living a life for the Lord, it would help us oftentimes to see ourselves as God sees us. And we want to understand His perspective on our life, that we might correct things that are contrary to His Word. Sometimes there is a grain of truth in the criticism that comes our way, even when it is unkindly delivered. When someone criticizes us but they are lacking in love, it is easy to dismiss their words and not consider the verbal attack and so miss out on something that God might want to teach us about ourselves. God can use even our critics to reveal our flaws. I think we would admit that we have blind spots in our lives and God brings people our way to help us see those blind spots, see those areas where we're not living for the Lord, where we may have sin in our life, where we may not uh, be living to the potential that God desires for us. So God wants to teach us the truth and show us uh, that we have blind spots and we must have a teachable spirit and allow God to show us truth. Sometimes even well-meaning people struggle in how they give what they perceive as constructive criticism. Whatever the spirit or motive of a person who criticizes is, we ought to respond by prayerfully considering what God is asking and what God is trying to show us. Of course, when we have the need of, or responsibility to point out a blind spot of someone else, we should remember Ephesians 4.15, which instructs us to speak the truth in love. And we spent some time talking on that subject of love and how important it is for us to love properly. To love as the Bible declares in, in 1 Corinthians 13. 
So when our input isn't given with a spirit of love, the person is likely, less likely to listen to what we have to say. So this criticism is to help us see ourselves. It also helps us draw closer to the Lord. When attacks come, the first person we tend to call or talk to about the problem is usually someone close to us. A spouse or a parent or a friend. While they may be able to provide helpful perspective and prayer support, the best confidant that we have is the Lord Himself. James 4.8 reminds us as children of God to draw nigh to Him. And what does He say He will do? He will draw nigh to us. And Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2 says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. And any situation that uh, we are presented with in this life, we should first of all go to the Lord prayerfully, asking what His direction is, what His leadership is, and how we should respond given a situation. No one is better acquainted with all the challenges that we face than the Lord Himself. God knows the answer, and God knows the direction we should take. And it's the same thing that happens in this life as we raise children. Children, you ought to listen, Trent. Trent, you ought to listen to your parents, because we've been around the block a few times, and we know a few things, uh, contrary to what they may think sometimes. But we have experienced some things, so we have some insight and some wisdom that we can share. But how much greater the God of the universe the wisdom that he possesses, and all that he can see, and all that he knows, why would we not go to him and ask him for leadership and direction and wisdom and insight and what we should do in this life? So when you face a problem, remember that nothing comes to you without first being filtered through the hands of your loving Heavenly Father. He designs our trials to draw us closer to himself and reveal more of himself to us. When we are persecuted verbally or otherwise, by others, we can obey God's instruction to bless those who have done it by first remembering that God allows it and will use it to draw us closer to Himself. I don't know about you, but when I was studying this lesson, I don't think that's the way I respond a lot of times to a situation like that. Uh, but it's how God would desire us to respond. That He would have us to look at the situation, ask God to, to show us areas where we may have laws where we may have sin, where we may need to draw closer to Him and allow Him to work. So we need to remember that God allowed it. Secondly, we must remember to keep the right perspective. Perception is a powerful, powerful thing. We must keep the right perspective as children of God and viewing things as God sees them. Besides remembering that God allowed Shimei's curses and persecution, David also had a larger perspective than the one man and the one moment. Boy, consider your life and think about those one moment situations where you would like to go back and change your response. Or you'd like to change the way that you reacted or, or the outcome of a situation because of one decision that you made. But David, in his wisdom, understood that he faced a bigger challenge than this one man, this one moment. And we see his perspective in verse number 11 of 2 Samuel 16. And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone, and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. So David told his men that there were bigger issues that they needed to be concerned with. 
Rather than becoming fixated on Shimei's cursing, David remembered that his own son was seeking to kill him. If David had lost perspective of the reality of Absalom's rebellion in that moment, he would not have been able to make wise decisions. And think about things that come up in your life and how they could distract you and pull your focus away from where the true focus needs to be. And we can see it in the lives of Christians as the devil seeks to distract us and pull us away from serving God and doing all that we can for Him, and we get fixated on things that have no eternal meaning, rather than staying focused on the things that God has for us. So David, he kept his perspective in this situation. And when we maintain perspective under persecution, we are able to see challenges in our lives more objectively. And specifically in relation to Jesus' command to bless those who persecute us, we are able to understand the hurts in their lives more sincerely. So how do we do this? The right perspective sees hurt people properly. More often than not, it is hurt people who hurt others. It was obvious that Shimei was bitter. As we already saw in verses 7 through 8 of our text, he accused David of stealing Saul's throne and killing the members of Saul's family. And he claimed that God had given David's kingdom over to Absalom as punishment for David's deed against Saul. In actual fact, all these accusations were false and were based on Shimei's imagination. Because of his resentment towards David, Shimei wanted to find fault in him. And that's human nature. When we don't like someone, we seek to find fault in them. We seek to tear them down and get the upper hand on them, make ourselves feel better. Most people usually think the source of their problems lies in the other person, not themselves. But that's often not the case. Shimei's false accusations against David revealed what was in his heart. Hurtful speech comes from a hurting heart. And back over in Luke chapter 6, verse 45 it tells us where these things are derived from. It says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So we understand that the things that are in the heart and the life of a person will come out. And they're evidenced by the things that they say, by the things that they do. So when we have a right perspective toward the one who hurt us, we will realize that they are hurting as well. And they have a need in their heart. Hurting people need our compassion and the same forgiveness that God has extended to us. Ephesians 4 tells us how we should deal with bitterness. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Put those things off. Verse 32, he tells us to put on be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And boy, when we consider what Christ has done for us and all He's forgiven us of, it should be easy for us then to look on others and be willing to forgive them as well. Shimei's cursing was wrong, but David humbly recognized that God had permitted it and responded graciously toward Shimei. We know that... Um, Many in our society suffer from Alzheimer's, maybe you've experienced in your family, but we see that 
the deterioration of the mind and all that goes on there. And often in that uh, mindset, they'll say hurtful words to those that are caring for them. Uh, just as those with the, these physical needs, they need our patience and understanding. Think about those who then are cursing us and persecuting us. They're saying those things from a position of misunderstanding, from a position uh, where they don't have a right relationship with the Lord. So what do they need? They need the same thing that an Alzheimer's patient needs. They need a, a caregiver, someone who is caring towards them and loving towards them. And the, we see a spiritual need in the life of those individuals, and we need to be the ones that would care and that would love and bless them that curse you and despitefully use you. So we need to have the right perspective. We need to see people as God sees people and understand their need and understand how we are to respond. So the right perspective also sees the real problem. In our story, David's real problem was not Shimei and the words that he would blast his way. But the real problem was Absalom's military rebellion. Absalom was a much bigger threat to David. He wanted David killed. And because David had a clear perspective, he was able to see past Shimei's verbal attacks and discern the real problem. We know that our Christian life is a battlefield. And we face many battles on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis that we must know how to respond. We must know how to react. We have a real enemy who is out to distract and to destroy. Ephesians 6.12 tells us, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now as we look in our world today, we can see evidence of the devil working in the lives of leadership, in the lives of, of the world today, in, this, in the world today and all around us. We see spiritual wickedness going on. 2 Corinthians 10.4 tells us how we are to respond. For the weapons are, of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds. So how do we combat all the evil? Well, it's through serving the Lord, being faithful to Him, and doing all that He's commanded us to do, being faithful in the battle. We often see the battle as with people, but the battle is not with people. It's against our adversary. The devil. Satan will do all that he can to get us off the path of duty. He can get us fixed on petty problems such as the hurtful statements someone made. He can use contention to divide people and distract them from serving God. And because our enemy is relentless in his attacks, we need to be vigilant and focused on staying our course in obedience to God. One of the best biblical examples of this principle is Nehemiah. God placed a burden on Nehemiah's heart to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. And as he sought to carry out this task, he faced opposition from Sanballat and Tobiah. And what did they do? They mocked him and the mission, in his mission to rebuild the walls. Amidst the taunting from his critics, Nehemiah kept his focus on God and his appointed task. In Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 19, it says, But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn, and despised us, and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them, and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. 
So as we live this Christian life, we understand that persecution may come our way or may have already come our way. And the persecutions that we face should not surprise us. Paul told Timothy that persecutions are a given, that they will come, and they will happen. These afflictions are the common lot of godly Christians and put us in good company with the prophets, the apostles, the early Christians who faced countless adversities, but ultimately triumphed over all of them. Paul admonished Timothy and reminded him in 2 Timothy 3.12, that yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So persecution will come to those who choose to live a godly life. Those who choose to take a stand for the things of God. Take a stand on the Word of God. And we look at the life of Paul and we understand that his life was a life uh, that was uh, encompassed with affliction by many persecutions. But what did he do? He stayed faithful. He was steadfast and he was unmovable and relentless in his faith and pursuing the Lord and his command. He continued pressing on in his commitment to God. He saw the Christian life as a race to be run with patience and perseverance. And he was determined not to let the hurdles of persecutions deter him from reaching the finish line. We might ask ourselves the question today, what would cause us to stop running the race? What would deter us and distract us and continuing on to serve the Lord. Philippians 3.14 should be our motto. It says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That is our goal, and that should be what we desire to accomplish in our walk with the Lord. The third thing we see here is remember to let God be in control. And boy, it's hard for us in situations like that where we would just want to grab hold and, and take control of the situation. But we need to remember to let God be in control. David's response to persecution was to relinquish it to God. He knew God was in control and left the matter in God's hand. In verse 12 of the, the text that we read in 2 Samuel 16, it says, It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction, and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. Not only did he give his affliction to God, but David also trusted that God would bring good out of his situation. He had been through many trials before and had experienced God's faithfulness to him in keeping his promises. We see in David's answer two truths that we can remember that help us trust God. First is, we remember that God will take care of you. God will take care of us. Even in the midst of these situations that we are talking about today, those that would curse us and persecute us, remember that God will take care of you. All throughout Scripture, we see the providential hand of God in taking care of his people. For some, he removed the problem. For others, he gave great grace. So trusting God doesn't always mean that he's going to remove the problem. But understand that he's going to give you what you need in that situation. Despite the many persecutions David faced, God never once left his side and sustained him throughout his trials. 2 Samuel 8, 6 says, The Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. No matter how deep of a problem that we face, that we may find ourselves in, remember that God's care for you goes deeper. He provides us assurance in His Word to remind us of His care and provision. 1 Peter 5, 7 admonishes us to cast all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Every care of this life we are to cast upon Him. Romans eight thirty two: He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, 
how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So we need to remember that God will take care of us, and also we need to remember that God will take care of the other person. God will take care of the other person. David left his persecutor Shimei in God's hands. And God eventually put Shimei at the mercy of David's hands. Eventually, David regained his throne, and Shimei, fearful for his life, fell down before him and sought forgiveness. When he had the opportunity to get back at Shimei, what did David do? David showed him mercy and chose not to kill him. Let's look quickly at the conclusion of the story, 2 Samuel chapter 19, and verse 18. And there went over a ferry boat to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king, and he was come over Jordan and said unto the king, Let not my lord impute iniquity unto me. Neither do thou remember that which thy servant did perversely the day that my lord the king went out of Jerusalem, that the king should take it to his heart. For thy servant doth know that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I am come the first this day of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord the king. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruiah, that ye should this day be adversaries unto me? Shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? For do not I know that I am this, king, the day, this day king over Israel? Therefore the king said unto Shimei, Thou shalt not die, and the king swear unto it. So David granted the forgiveness. He didn't retaliate against this, uh, Shimei in the situation. But sadly, David's mercy seems not to have softened Shimei's heart. Eventually, David's son Solomon became king and offered Shimei a condition of continued peace. But Shimei broke that arrangement and Solomon had him executed. So although we see there's an apology in the portion of Scripture we just read, there was never a change of heart. Even so, David was wise to leave that in God's hands. And God did take care of Shimei and the wrong he had done. And meanwhile, David, having offered forgiveness, could live a life free of bitterness. David had the right heart in the whole situation. He didn't have to carry any burden over retaliation against Shimei. Romans 12, 19 talks about vengeance. It says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So we need to leave these situations to the Lord. Paul wrote to Timothy at the end of his life concerning the individual who did Paul harm. He gave the situation to the Lord, trusting that God will give him his just reward. In 2 Timothy 4.14, it says, Alexander the coppersmith did much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. So what is the biblical response to those that would curse us and would persecute us? It's to understand that God may be allowing this in your life to draw you closer to him, to reveal some things in your life, to help you to keep the right perspective, to let God be in control. So we have much to learn from the example we see in the life of of David, and the life of Paul, and the lives of many others in the Word of God, of how we are to bless them that would curse us. And I know it's difficult for our human 
flesh to understand and to want to do that, but through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, and to let Him have control, we can show forth that love and compassion that we need, that those others that would curse us and be persecuting us might understand what their heart's need is, and that is to have a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today for Your Word, and we're thankful for all that it teaches us, and I pray that well, we would not only be hearers of the Word this morning, that we would be doers of the Word, and help us to have a great impact on the world in which You've left us here to be ministers unto. I pray that You'd help us to be great disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, proclaiming the Word to all those You'd bring our way, that we might share with them the good news of Jesus Christ, and invite them to a personal relationship with Him. Father, I pray that You'd work now in the service to follow, and that Katato, that You'd speak to hearts, draw men unto You, and we'll thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, about 15 minutes and we'll meet right back in here.